everybody. Welcome to the Book Leads Impactful Books for Life and Leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach, John Jaramillo. This podcast series is about getting to the books to uh, those that have impacted the lives of my colleagues, my network, friends, coworkers, collaborators. So these are great leads that I speak with to get a, a good sense of what those books are that have made an impression on them, what they've done in their business work, whatever it may be. All those lives transfer over into each other. Those lessons move from one world to the next. So the way that I do it in this particular series is I cover uh, any number of categories of books. So in the first one, I cover a book that they're schooling me about that I haven't read. Second category is when we've read the same book and are discussing it, whether specifically for this episode or we read it in our previous lives. And then the third one is when I've had authors and or publishers on here who want to share the message of the books that they've put out there with this audience, kind of in that same vein. Why did you write the book? What drew you to the book? Uh, what are the lessons kind of thing. But in this particular episode, I'll be talking with uh, a colleague and we're going to be covering a book that she's going to share with me that I haven't read yet. I've heard a lot about it, but I haven't read it yet. So in this episode, my guest will be Jill Siegel. And Jill is a branding strategist, marketing professional with 25 plus years of experience in industries, including advertising, hospitality, healthcare, media, nonprofit, publishing, and law. She was uh, She's worked in collaboration with key members of leadership teams and executive committees to develop and foster new strategic relationships and revenue streams for both public and private organizations. She's managed and cultivated hundreds of high-profile client accounts, projects, and events, and has been recognized for launching notable strategic programs to optimize ROI, client experience, and market engagement. Today, Jill focuses her work in environments where giving back is the driving force. She's the managing director of the Connecticut Women's Council, a branding strategist at J. Lauren Consulting, and a cause entrepreneur at One Hope Wine, an award-winning Napa Valley winery that gives back with every bottle. She's currently enrolled in Copper Beach Institute's mindfulness mindfulness facilitation certification cohort, cohort, excuse me, and she will be certified as a mindfulness facilitator after she graduates this November. She's on the development committee for Mental Health Connecticut. She's certified in mental health first aid, and after going through her own mental health crisis in 2016, she's an advocate for helping those dealing with mental health challenge. Jill believes there's nothing more important than kindness and that we rise by lifting others. She's a mom of two daughters, age 24 and 21, and considers motherhood and her girls her greatest gift and life accomplishment. And I met uh, Jill through my work with the American Marketing Association. We just recently met, I think, well, not recently, uh, probably within the last year, Jill. Um, so in any case, I'm grateful for the work that we did together for the association. And thank you for joining me for this conversation. Thank you for having me. Yes, I think it was just over a year ago. It's amazing how time <laughs> flies, especially mm -hmm. when we're talking pandemic time. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Thank you. So, Jill, I covered in your bio the various industries and um, accolades and work that you've done. But who are you today? What is what does your work look like in the everyday? What is it you're doing day to day? I know that's a loaded question because you are so busy, but can you give us a walkthrough of what you're up to? Sure. So um, I will say that uh, currently right now, um, because I started with the Connecticut Women's Council in June of this year. Um, so, you know, when anything is new, um, it, it takes up a lot of your time. And um, they had the same managing director for about 14 years prior. So um, this, this there's a there's a lot to do, um, but it's an incredible organization with 
some of the most um, accomplished and uh, powerful women um, in in Connecticut, uh, Hartford-centric, Hartford, Connecticut-centric. Um, so, it, you know, it's an honor to work with these women, uh, many of which um, I've known from my past uh, in when I was at the Hartford Business Journal. And um, the organization is now celebrating its 30th anniversary. That is this year. So that's another big thing we're working on right now. The organization um, is really a, a resource for professional women. Um, you know, now more than ever, with everyone um, more remote, uh, connections are incredibly important. Um, so it gives an opportunity, mostly now in person, uh, only a few programs are virtual, um, but it really helps the dynamics of that uh, for, for people in the workforce. Some, some are retired, some are still in the workforce, some are young, and some are navigating what it's like to begin their careers at a time when it's not the same as it used to be. So this is a very, very resourceful group of women that are there in a sense. And the connection to my bio is, you know, truly we rise by lifting others. And mm. that's what this group does. Awesome. And, and I mean, uh, yeah. And then in addition ahead, to that, uh, I apologize. So in addition no. to that, I, I'm, I, I am a cause entrepreneur with One Hope Wine. One Hope Wine, or I, I don't know who found who, me, found, if I found One Hope or if they found me about a little over a year ago, I just celebrated my one year anniversary. Congrats. Um, because when I left, so a big part of what I'm gonna talk about today is that in 2019, I made the decision, the conscious decision to, to exit corporate, um, to, to take my body of work and, and create something new. Um, I've been a single mom since my girls were six and eight. So I was climbing a very, 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 very big mountain, getting them through high school, you know, getting through the grade school and then high school. I raised them in a great community, um, with great school systems. And it was like, get them to where they need to go, get them launched. And, um, so that was my goal. That was my main goal. And so, um, you know, while doing so, you know, certainly the corporate grind was a way to, to, to do it, <laughs> to support yeah, everything I had absolutely. to support. Um, so this will segue into a lot of other things we're going to talk about because, um, you know, you, you go through different phases as a parent and as a professional, um, and then life throws you different things. So I always was a person that powered through everything. Um, so when I was, um, when I spoke, well, in my bio about my mental health crisis in 2016, you know, I was fully entrenched um, in working probably 50 to 60 plus hours a week while raising at that time, you know, teenagers going to college, getting ready for college and all that. So um, I didn't pay attention to myself. I didn't pay attention. I didn't, I wasn't sleeping. I, I didn't sleep for six months, chalked it off to other things and all kinds of things. I was performing at the highest of levels. I did lose 30 pounds. I, I didn't know why I chalked it up to stress again. Uh, this whole thing, when we get to the end, you'll understand where I'm going. So, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so anyway, I stayed, you know, I got through that. Um, the firm I worked with was absolutely amazing. Um, I, I took about six weeks, uh, six to eight weeks off um, and, uh, you know, got the help that I needed to get through that crisis. And 
I, and I'll, I'll say I made a commitment myself to always, always take care of myself first, pay attention. Um, and I always thought I was in a sense, cause I, I always lived by the, by the, uh, term, you know, oxygen mask to yourself first, mm. you know, if I'm okay, yeah. they're okay. I always lived by that, but I was powering through everything a little too much. So, and the stress levels got really high, you know, it gets, it gets a little higher and higher and higher as things get harder and more difficult. And as our kids grow into different phases, so yeah. um, everything was great. They were terrific kids and, you know, now I'm reaping the benefits. So it's really wonderful. But, um, but the point is, is that um, it did take its toll. Um, I stayed at the firm for an additional uh, three years. And um, when my girls both had graduated from high school and were both in college, um, I made the conscious decision. I sold my home. I kind of simplified life. They were both technically out of the house <laughs> five months before COVID. Technically, yeah. Before COVID, this is again, you know, life throws you things. So here I was. I'm like, I'm going on my own. I'm going to start my own consultancy. And so I did so in August or September of 2019. I had two clients. I was going to grow my client list. And I was doing fine. And then the pandemic hit. So we all know the rest. So I still had my consultancy. It didn't grow. So then I, I realized that, well, I'm building a consultancy. So I'm going to do whatever I can and maybe attain experience in an industry where it's needed right now, where I can learn more about. So um, I had always had healthcare clients with all of the companies and firms I've worked for as clients, but I never worked in healthcare before. So at that time, a large, the largest hospital organization in the state of Connecticut is Hartford Healthcare. So mm -hmm. I took a role at Hartford Healthcare as part of their COVID. First, it was as a part of the COVID testing operation team. Mm -hmm. And I worked on the front lines right behind the testers in trailers across our great state, working with our great Hartford Healthcare and our state entities, um, you know, probably one of the best state organized um, initiatives uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, when we came out with vaccine, we then morphed to the vaccine operational team. And I was also kind of cross, cross uh, practicing at their community care center. So I had eight months working within Hartford Healthcare. And every day I was working with doctors, nurses, people like me from all different streams of life. I was working with executives from the hospital organization. I was working with the National Guard. I was working in trailers in the middle of fields. I was working in the prison system. I was working everywhere. And um, it was like little mash units set up throughout the state. So I did that. And um, that's when after I left that fully vaccinated after eight months, of course, we were all vaccinated at that point. I traveled a bit, got my travel in. Uh, travel is incredibly important to me. And then is when One Hope found me or I found One Hope because it was very important to me. I wanted to start doing work that was for the greater good. That was part of my consultancy. I wanted to work for companies or you know, help companies do their work better, that you were either contributing to the world positively in regards to the environment or in regards to a nonprofit organization. So that was my goal before COVID. Of course, everything kind of got scrambled, but I stuck to it. And when, when I found One Hope, I was like, wait, this is a wine company that, that was founded on giving back with every bottle. 
what is this all about? I learned more about it. I fell in love with the wines and I'm like, how can I not want to do this? It's mm -hmm. incredible. So um, basically the way it's done is uh, through private tasting events, fundraising events with nonprofits. We, you know, we help them raise money for their bottom line. And in addition, we help them raise awareness about their nonprofit organization. So I would say right now between the Connecticut Women's Council and One Oak Wine, that's all part of what I'm doing. And then my, my Jay Lauren Consulting is still there because underlying, uh, you know, I'm a, mar a branding and marketing strategist. So that happens every so often too with, with little, little projects here and there. I mean, I love that that's all mixed in. I think long gone are the days where you ask somebody what they do and they're like, I'm an accountant. Yeah. I mean, some people. I'm a janitor. Yeah. Some people. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that at all. Yeah. But I, I, I love I mean, seeing yeah. variety because I think the roles that you have, what yeah. you learn in one, you can bring and transfer some lessons over to the other ones. They like it's all, like it keeps yeah. you sharp because you're not just kind of in that tunnel of one environment. You're jumping between those different hats that you wear. Yes. And my career prepared me for that because I always work within so many industries, even when I was within one industry, even when I was in the hospitality industry or in media and publishing, I had so many client types and I consider myself a little bit of a Jill of all trades mm. because I always say I know a little about a lot. I yeah. really do. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think for sure that's the reason why when I was at the Hartford Business Journal and then the law firm of Shipman and Goodwin was my client and they asked me to, can you come on board and help us with client relations and business development? And I pressed them. I had six hours of interviews and I'm like, are you sure you don't want someone with legal experience? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And they kept saying, no, no, no. We want someone just like you because I can kind of carry on a conversation and understand what's going on pretty much with any, in any type of room. And then of course, the first two years at Shipman and Goodwin, I felt like I was in law school because uh, I had to learn more than the you could lingo, ever the vernacular, yes. yeah, 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 the yeah, processes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you led up from leaving your corporate um, to now. What did what did without going deep into your life? What did your life look like before that? In terms of what did your path to now look like? In terms of developing who you were, studying what you may have studied in school, or uh, where where do you trace back um, your career path of where it start? Little building blocks. For instance, mm -hmm. what did you go to school for? What what does that path look like to mm -hmm. up until the point that you just started at a few minutes ago? Yeah, well, I have a communications degree uh, and a minor in marketing, so everything absolutely connects throughout my career to my education. Um, I use it in everything I do. Um, I always loved my major because I feel I can do it anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so I just, of course I started in the traditional, like I, I think I wrote to you about in the advertising agency grind you know, started there in New York City doing that. And then I was like, well, I want to work in an industry where I'm like, I was still young. I still didn't have children. And I was like, so I'm like, oh, I, you know, so then my passion for travel, I followed that hospitality. I worked for Senate Corporation, the largest hospitality franchise company in the world. I didn't have kids. I traveled 
all the time. I was never home. And so um, we were doing events back to back for sometimes six weeks at a time um, all over the country. So, you know, I think in the back of my mind, I knew that when I, and it gets to later about my life's, you know, biggest accomplishment and, and is my children. I think I knew that when I became a mother, that a lot was going to change. And I, I was, I was with, I married one of my sweethearts from college and we kind of, you know, we worked really hard. We both were, he was in the software industry in the nineties and I was doing my thing and we would often meet on trips, you know, wherever we were, we both traveled and worked really hard. And, you know, we talked about if we have the ability for me to stay home um, while our kids are little, I, you know, I would, Um, we don't have family in this area, you know, it it would have just been full on, you know, we're on our own. Um, And, you know, it was a little non-traditional. I mean, I know a lot of people that were doing that, but I knew a lot of people are like, oh my God, I could never stay home with my kids. And, you know, anyway, so I think at that point I knew, like, as I was nearing that age that I'm like, so I went through this, obviously when I became a mom at the end of my 29th year of life, um, I did, I stayed home for seven years until mine were, um, I think four and, um, six, something like that. And, um, so that was, that was part of that little path (laughs) because, you know, um, that's a completely different experience as part of a, a woman's career, um, at least in the last two to three decades, um, you know, so it was a conscious decision that I made and it was something that I wanted to do and I was able to do it. So I did it. How do you think that role stay at home mom for six years? How do you think that contributed to who you are as a professional today? Well, when I was during that time, so it kind of also connects to where I am today because I always said that if I was able to do that, if I was able to stay home with my kids, that I would then use my time to volunteer and mm-hmm. be on boards and be on committees and do these things that I could never do before when I was too busy traveling and too busy being like a young, fun, selfish person. So yeah. I basically did. And I was on the board of the Glastonbury YMCA. I was on the uh the committee for the Riverfront Community Center in Glastonbury, Connecticut, raised the roof for our new senior center and community center. I was uh, vice president of Hadassah in my community, which is a Zionist um, Israeli uh, female organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that. I'm probably forgetting a whole bunch of other things. And so um, in that, I kept my resume really kind of active. And at the same time, I was at home losing my mind, <laughs> watching Weather Channel all the time because that was the way that I, I always joked about it because that was my thing. I would watch the Weather Channel like all day while holding babies because I felt like that was how I could see what was going on in the rest of the world. <laughs> Which is, that's much better than daytime TV. Daytime I never TV watch is daytime TV. absolute shit. Daytime never, TV is horrible. I never, I don't watch daytime TV. I'm not a. Except I'm, for the price is right. That's yeah. 
exactly. But so I did. So I watched Weather Channel. So in, in top of that, so again, most of my experience was in New York, New York and New Jersey prior to that. So I started to get the Hartford Business Journal delivered at home. Okay. And I'd read it. It'd stay on top of things. And lo and behold, in their paper, good old fashioned style, they were advertising that they needed um, a special projects person to come on board. So I started at nine hours a week as a special projects coordinator or a special projects manager for the Hartford Business Journal. Gotcha. And so that became my, I, and I took the job as my stepping stone. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is a great stepping stone. I didn't step off the stone. I became promoted, promoted, long? promoted <laughs> 10, 10 years. So that's and amazing. The, and the reason why it was so perfect was because I was it for my kids, you know, and my ex-husband, because when they were six and eight, I got divorced. My ex-husband traveled extensively and I needed a job where it was a great job, but I didn't need to travel. So we were part of New England Business Media. So the furthest our publications went were up to Maine. We had Connecticut publications, Massachusetts publications and Maine. So it was perfect. And I got to know the entire business community um, really throughout Connecticut. And um, so it was a beautiful path, I think. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And so I had to cut back, of course, on some of my volunteer work while I did this and was doing everything else. And then it kind of comes full circle again, where I'm like, I'm making a conscious decision. And why am I wearing so many hats? And why am I doing so many things? Because mm -hmm. I'm trying to make up for a big corporate paycheck. And I am trying to, I am chasing that. I'm chasing that, that dream of creating it myself. What, um, two questions. The first one is, so what was it that triggered, triggered you in the last couple of years to, to do work from the heart? Like, I know you, you volunteered before when, um, when you were home with your daughters and you were on the various boards, but then when it came around and you left corporate to go back into that kind of work, what was it? What was like the, what was the, yeah, the trigger? What was that moment or what was the motivation specifically in that time to go back to that work? Well, because was there a particular moment that kind of pushed you it, to do it or it, an experience? It was definitely a collection of moments, moments where probably I could remember, you know, starting at the Hartford Business Journal or when I was at Shipman and Goodwin. The work that we would do at either one of these organizations that just felt great where I knew that these organizations were making a difference, um, you know, and just to bring it more current, you know, my last role before leaving corporate was at Shipman and Goodwin. And, you know, I worked primarily in our business and finance practice. And in there, we, we kind of spearheaded the life sciences, um, this biotech group. Mm -hmm. um, I was, I had the honor of working with, um, uh, Yale New Haven Hospital and the Yale uh, management, you know, the, the uh, what's it called? The, anyway, the management uh, for, for all businesses spinning out of Yale um, University. And so these people dedicate their lives to curing cancer and other terrible diseases and or medical devices that help people use their hands or walk or hear or see. Mm -hmm. In fact, right over here in Farmington, we worked with um, Yukon Tip. We worked with um, Lamb Division, people helping people with their vision. So we worked with all these startups and helped them 
you know, form their businesses and protect themselves so that when they are acquired, they're set up and all that. But that was just incredible to me. And then in addition to that team, I worked with our environmental team that was part of our real estate construction environmental land use and zoning team. I learned more about land use, zoning and environmental everything than I ever could have imagined. Jillable trades. Yeah. And that team, this, you know, we worked on things, oil spills, cleanups. I mean, things that took 30 years. Uh, I mean, the Mill River in Fairfield, Connecticut, Mm -hmm. Shipman and Goodwin was working on that with a a company called Exide, a very large uh, battery company. The project took 30 years, but they, you know, I was there for the closing of that. I was there for the, the project closeout. And you know, these things are like incredible, you know? And um, so I became really involved with different organizations attached to these different industries, you know, biotech and life sciences and that whole world. And then of course, in the environmental and sustainability world. So I would say that that, and then coupled with Hartford Business Journal, all the different organizations that we always worked with and supported and as part of the business community, those were all the little pieces that connected Mm -hmm. to, okay, I'm working and I'm hustling and I'm making a paycheck and all this, but what is it that I feel really good about? It's always Mm -hmm. on the days that I've been, I was working on the projects that I was like, this is making a difference in the world. You know, this is making a difference. And that's the pieces that I, that I grabbed onto and said, if I can do this on my own, I want to work on that stuff. Amazing. The other question I I had was, thank you for that breakdown of everything from education to the various roles that you had and and stay-at-home mom and volunteering. So I'm just curious, one more question about your past is what what was it from your childhood or your experiences that made you go into school for communications and marketing? Um, Definitely probably just the natural skills that we know are better at than others. Um, I always excelled in writing. I love writing. I love the spoken word, the written word. Um, I was not a math or science student. I was definitely a student of language, (coughs) um, creativity. Um, And and so I it thought, just made sense. It was like yeah, an extension of who you, it made you were sense. passionate about and, already. And I did feel too that I knew I loved business. I knew that my 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 family was part of a a family business, um, a, you know, a large tire distribution company in the Northeast. So I watched I watched my father, my uncle, and my cousin run and grow this business. And so I watched. I had the opportunity to watch things in action. Yeah. And I knew I loved business, but I just didn't know what I, what business, what, what do I want to do? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. So I was like, I knew I could apply this to any type of business. Yeah. That's the best part about marketing and communications. I mean, I have a, a degree in marketing, but I really never really used it. Yeah. But in, in the work that we did with the American Marketing Association, Connecticut chapter, I realized I was doing social media and putting out, um, publishing, just sharing articles and commenting on it. And, it's almost like I convinced myself here. I am trying to convince the audience that, you know, the AMA or show them that the AMA is passionate about marketing. Why, why it's important, all that stuff. And then as I'm writing these pieces or sharing an article and commenting on an article from Inc or entrepreneur, whatever the publication may be, 
in writing this, these things out, like on a daily basis, I realized how much, just how much marketing and communications are just applicable to everything. Especially I became fascinated with storytelling and just getting out there. And I realized how much of, how many of us, how much we don't tell our story. Right. And how now it's so important because again, we're so detached by technology that if we don't engage and tell the stories and connect, you know, that's, that's, yeah. And, and that, that will flow a little into Atlas of the heart. And, um, but it's funny because I, I have two daughters. One has my brain. She's marketing communications. She's using it in, in, the, in uh, she's a recruiter. She's now a corporate recruiter. So, but you need that. You, a big part of her role is obviously communicating with all her candidates, mm-hmm. but then reading through that and understand. And, and also it's important that people, she finds people that know how to communicate because, yeah. yeah. So she's using that. Um, but she loves writing and all that. My other daughter has the, the finance and accounting brain. And, but what's interesting is I believe that my influence, I see little things she does as a, a finance and accounting little genius, but I see little things she does that really make her stand out because I guess she has a little of me in her too, yeah. because yeah. she just finished a 10 week internship at KPMG in Boston. And she wrote handwritten thank you notes to all the people she worked for. And one or two of them, you know, took the time to say, thank you so much. No one has ever done that. Like she took the time to do that. And there's other examples, but anyway, she got offered a full-time job for after when she graduates. That's that's amazing. But, but, you know, sometimes, yes, we're born with certain sides of the brain, but there's definitely some nurture in that too. You know, it's our environment. It's, it's our, who we are, but it's our environment plays into that too. Yeah. And I mean, even though she's, she's like the math whiz in finance, um, she can use that communi- those communication skills as well. I yes. mean, aside from the, from the gesture of writing a note for somebody I've worked in, in financial management, uh, for, you know, 16, 17 years in, in public financial management. Okay. And it's amazing how you can have people that know the numbers. You can have people that know the yeah. budgets, but if they don't know how to tell the story of why the numbers look the way they are, where they should be. If you can't tell the story and all you do is throw up a graph or a chart, you're going to mm-hmm. lose your audience, whoever they may be. So, I mean, she could stand to to learn a little more of that side too as well, because I think oh, it'll yeah. give her, I, I think it'll give her a leg up if she's able to to transform that information into a great story. Definitely. But I mean, that's just me. That's, and, that's, and you know, I do, just, right. And I do see even in the courses she has taken, they are paying more attention to that now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You don't want people's eyes to like glaze over because yeah. you know, you're just throwing stats at them and, and things like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it is interesting. Um, and it is like a little science project raising children and seeing your little... <laughs> Them yeah. growing, grow into and, these adults and doing amazing things. And like I said, I'm reaping the benefits now because they're, they're both just, they've made me very proud. Congratulations on that. Thank That's you. It's huge. Uh, so Jill, why don't you introduce the book that we're reading? Why don't you introduce the book and just 
share why it is uh, you chose to read the book, look for the book, find the book, or if the book found you? What was sure. it that led you to the book? So I will admit I had heard of the book, um, but it, as I think, as you mentioned before, I'm I'm in a ten-month mindfulness facilitator training course right now, and I will graduate in November. This is a it's a two hundred hour course, and so there's classes and retreats and all this that's involved in this. So that someday after November, uh, the end of November, I will be certified so that I will be able to facilitate mindfulness. Um, mindfulness practices in, in lots of different environments. And um, it, it might be in, in in business, it might be for like the senior citizen community, it might be for adolescents eventually, it might be with therapists to help them complement what they do in traditional talk therapy. Um, a lot of therapists are combining mindfulness and what they do, some do it, and mm -hmm. some don't. Some are so overwhelmed with patients that they just can't. So they need additional people to help with that. So anyway, but part of the course is required reading. And one of the books that's required is Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. So that's why I said, um, this will be my book. And yes. And what made you want to do that mindfulness facilitation certification? Uh, that is directly related to the fact that the mental health crisis in, well, all over the world, but let's just talk about the United States, mm -hmm. is just the, the biggest, one of the biggest issues. And so many other of the other issues are connected to mental illness. You know, we do have, we have a gun, gun control issue in this country. And I do believe, you know, as far as gun violence and things like that. Mental health is at the crux of a lot of things. People need more care. The system needs more people in it. It's just, there's not enough to go around. I have friends that are psychologists and they see patients for 12 hours a day and they're still turning people away. So as much as like, if money weren't an issue, I would have gone back to school and I would have become a psychologist. Um, yeah. And I would have but I'm not doing that to myself financially. So I said, well, I know that mindfulness has helped me um, through my mental health journey. And I learned about this incredible opportunity to become certified through Copper Beach Institute, which is like a highly renowned mindfulness um, institute um, all over the world. We have people <clears throat> in, this, in this cohort from Pakistan, from people in Seattle, Washington, people in, uh, in the Caribbean. So, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, how did you find mindfulness when you were going through your, your, the stage where you were uh, well, that's going just through the those point. difficulties? I didn't know it existed. I didn't know most things existed. And when you're going through a crisis and you don't know what's there, it, it doesn't, it's not there. And I, I didn't know any of it. And, you know, so I went through traditional route, traditional route, you know, through uh, med medical and hospitals and all that kind of stuff. When I was, you know, kind of just kind of going through the healing process, I started to do yoga and meditation, of course. Mm -hmm. And then slowly after that, because I started to do some of those things, I started to learn more about mindfulness. Mm -hmm. 
But okay. then also the same, if you have to think about the time frame we've gone through in the years, it also, everything else became more in the forefront. You know, after I think Michael Phelps is it, you know, started to talk about his issues and other people started to talk mm-hmm. about their issues and it became more of a movement. And so mindfulness became much more front and center. And, and I'm doing this because if I can help one person, you know, in a way to give them some, a way to get through a difficult time, either while they're waiting to get help from a doctor or while they're helping to be admitted or before they do something that's potentially harmful to their life. If I can help one person, then I'm happy. And then I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's kind of like, <clears throat> you know, in other words, I don't want anyone to go through what I went through. <laughs> so, yeah. and I'm educated. I have plenty of friends that are doctors. And let me tell you, when you're going through the traditional route, if you don't know things about like Mental Health Connecticut right here in our state, this, the resources yeah. they provide, or if you don't know about NAMI, or if you don't know about, um, you know, other integrative uh, medicine, such as meditation, yoga, mindfulness, Mm -hmm. if you don't know what's offered in the community, if you don't know all these things, you feel very paralyzed. And um, so it's basically just to kind of be a uh, a liaison between all of that, but to also help people in crisis during that crisis period. Yeah, and I, I forgot that it was well, I mean, you pointed them out, so it was kind of like your beacon or the story that you saw of Michael Phelps and sharing his mental health issues. And it is true, like he was one of the first ones that you really saw publicly, especially at at such a high stature in life with so many accomplishments. Mm-hmm. You know, and typically the first question is, Well, why would they feel like that if they accomplished all this, mm-hmm. if they've done so much? You know, if they have all these endorsements, if they've won all these medals and they have all this money and blah, blah, but you just never know, you know, you, you never, never know. know. And I mean, there was a story recently, I think in the last couple of days of the, uh, she's like a news anchor out in Wisconsin that, um, died by suicide. And, and you can, I could hear it in her sister's voice who was commenting for the story that I was reading almost like her sister knew that the facade isn't always um telling of what's going on but it's, you could yeah you could never. hear it in in what you go go find it after you're done here after we're done here jill because there's just something compelling about the way her sister put it mm-hmm. that it was almost like a holy shit like i i really didn't think this was ha- was gonna happen anything like this could happen because she was just so loved that she was such a happy person she was the happiest person you knew like she always lit up the room like that even though you may hear, listen, the facade is not everything. People can be hurting. Even though she might have known that in the past, she was still caught off guard. And it just just goes to show you, you just never know. Absolutely. I mean, just uh, I think a year ago, I think it was at Miss USA. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, the, this happens time and time and time again. And, and again, I, I will say, okay, and this is the thing. And it, as a person going through something, it's not even like a facade. You're just going through your life. Mm. And then like 
these things are happening to you, but you don't, you're not really aware. And then, you know, again, I was powering through, I probably looked better than I ever looked because I did lose 30 pounds and I was at a very, you know, a really great, great position in my career trajectory, considering again, I needed to close to home and stay home and mm-hmm. be near my kids and all that till they graduated, you know, so in the little I could do in this, in, in this, I felt I was in a good place. I mean, I just, I was in a great place, you know, but life was closing in on me and, mm. you know, no one would have ever known from the outside, you know, and it was only my closest of closest friends that knew like I wasn't sleeping. I was losing weight and all these other things, you know, cause you know, I'm not going to talk about it with the rest of the world. You know, you talk about it with your best friends and they, yeah. you know, we all tried to help me, you know, um, but then, you know, sometimes you just, yeah. So it's important to find, to find the help you need before it's too late, you know? Yeah. So. And I mean, hopefully with, with that discussion being at the forefront, um, unfortunately, all these stories that come out with that same kind of commentary, we never expected anything like this to happen. Uh, hopefully we heed those lessons and we, each of us learns. Cause I mean, each of us can be stubborn where we keep things to ourselves. <laughs> Um, so hopefully we learn to open up a little more and just share of who we are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is sometimes, you know, when things get so bad, you, you, you could just, you could think one thing, but, or hear one thing. It's just, it's just that there needs to be more help. There needs to be more services available and through, through major health organizations, you know? And so, um, it's getting there. It's, yeah. it's getting there. It's going to, it's still, it's going to take a long time, but at least like you said, it's more out in the forefront and people are paying attention to it. Um, yeah. We bring it up and we talk about it and you know, um, the comment is to remove the stigma. And the thing is, I mean, it's, it's, you shouldn't be um, reducing a stigma. It shouldn't be looked at as a stigma. I mean, it's a part of life. Yeah. You know, how long, how, how, who knows how long it, society has mm-hmm. been like that, but it's only coming out now. Right. Um, who knows how many people suffered through it, made it through their entire life and died oh. by natural causes, but Thousands. they suffered their entire mm-hmm. life. Right. So, so who knows? But I mean, yeah. you, I, and other people will just keep that conversation going. I think that's that'll yeah. help a lot. It's just making it a part of the normal conversation. A yes. normal, normal part of just living. It's not, right. it's not, oh, we have to pay special attention to get rid of this stigma. No, it's just, it's who we are. It's who we are. Yeah. It's just like we might have a heart condition or we might have a whatever. This is yeah. just part of our brain doing Absolutely. its thing. So, okay. Atlas of the Heart, What? Um, in what way was it part of the curriculum? What was it that the curriculum wanted you to get out of the book? Uh, and then we can jump into actually what you did get out of the book and, and mm-hmm. what the book looked like. But why was the book uh, included in the curriculum? Well, they didn't really say it was just one of the choices and we did have choices, but I would say now after reading the book and being in the course so many months, it is because it has to do with, it's all about understanding, understanding our own emotions and our own, where it all comes from and the history of it all. Because the full title of the book is Atlas of the Heart, Mapping Meaningful Meaningful Connection and the Language of Human Experience. 
Exactly. Get, and then that gives it a little more content. Yeah. And there's a quote I'll start off with and sure. then I'll talk a little bit more about it. But, you know, when I started this mindfulness course, I thought, well, I'm going to learn a lot about mindfulness. I'm going to learn a lot about mindfulness. I'm learn. Let me tell you, I learned, I'm learning more about myself than anything else. And that connects directly, directly with what one of the last things that she talks about and what I'll close out with about this book. And um, that is the one surprise to me. Of course, I'm learning about mindfulness too, but it is such deep learning about myself and my own emotions and my own things and others and how it connects and, you know, in this big beautiful web of the world that we live in. So, um, so the quote is, um, in a world where perfectionism, pleasing and proving are used as armor to protect our egos and our feelings. It takes a lot of courage to show up and be all we can be when we can't control the outcome. It also takes discipline and self-awareness to understand what to share and with whom vulnerability is not oversharing. It's sharing with people who have earned the right to hear our stories and our experiences. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. So that's the quote. And, you know, it takes courage to do self-work. It takes courage to Mm self-improve, you know, all that. So that's what, you know, I connect with as well as the fact of the, what I said before about, you know, I was powering through everything. I was always like, had my superwoman cape on. I couldn't show weakness because then I'd be failing or I would let my kids down. And I realized through my own, you know, fall and rise and all that, that, you know, there is strength in weakness. There is so much strength in weakness. I just didn't know it or I was Mm -hmm. afraid of it, or I just thought if I fell, I'd fall. But there's so much growth and there's so much that happens, you know, during, during those times. And uh, there is another piece of reading, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk about for one second, because perhaps you've heard of the trapeze. The trapeze is like a fable and it's, it's about, letting go of one trapeze bar, hurtling over the void before you grab onto the next, mm-hmm. that how scary it is when we make changes, when we make whatever, we're, we're letting go, we're letting go of the trapeze bar. That could be letting go of a relationship. That could be letting go of a job. That'd be letting go of moving, you know, and people sometimes don't do any of it because they're afraid to let go. And anyway, but the truth of the matter is, is that hurt, in in the trapeze, I recommend everyone reads it. You could just Google it. Um, it just says, you know, that's where the most growth. That's where the most growth happens. Hurtling over the void, <coughs> we, we just might learn how to fly. But it's scary as shit, as you said before, <laughs> when you're hurtling over and there's nothing but like rocks and scary things underneath. Yeah. So, but it takes courage. And that's what she talks about here. And in a real like more nitty gritty about, she, so Brene Brown is a emotions researcher, which mm-hmm. is such a cool title. Right. And um, 
So she, in this book, she explains for us how biologically, how we're made and biographically, like our story, our history, our childhood or other things, help us understand ourselves better and understand how we relate to others and then how that shapes almost everything for us. Mm. So it's really important. And again, I didn't start realizing this <clears throat> stuff really recently, like recent years. Um, oh, yeah, words, me, me too. Yeah. Yeah. And in other words, she helps us make sense of our human experience and our connection with the people we love, the people we live with, the people we work with, go to school with, etc. It's all part of our human experience. And then she takes us through the whole book, many different chapters. Um, there's certain things that stand out to me. I remember um, she, you know, the, she dives right into places we go when things are uncertain or too much. And then she talks about stress and fear and overwhelmment mm. and, and all that stuff. And then she, I remember talking, she did a whole thing on disappointment and how disappointment can like, create resentment, um, what we do when things are beyond us or things don't come out the way we thought they would. And she emphasizes the importance with that of curiosity and opening ourselves up to the world rather, rather than withdrawing or lashing out um, when we realize our limited humanity. And she talks about you know the five painful experiences and when we're hurting and differentiates between like anguish and the type of healthy sadness and then yeah unhealthy and healthy sadness you yes. know what i mean that kind of stuff um and yeah and then i the part i was going to get to is about you know she basically concludes that her the whole theory of the book is that is her findings, I guess you could say, is that she's come to believe that we must belong to ourselves before we can belong to others. And so with mindfulness and the court, this is why they had us read this book. Because again, here I was setting off into this course, like, I'm going to learn about mindfulness. I'm going to learn mm -hmm. about, I'm like, no, I'm learning how to belong to myself. I'm learning so much about me and how I am as a person and how, how that's, how that affects the rest of my life because of everyone that I work with and deal with in my personal life and professional life. Um, and she writes while examining emotions and walking along alongside each other is work and requires vulnerability. It is the essence of the human experience and some of the most important work we can do. So that is, yeah, it's work. Yeah, it's 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 work just because you have to reprogram yourself. Do you know what I mean? You go through a lifetime of looking things a certain way, um, responding to things in a certain way. I love the fact that you mentioned that there's different kinds of sadness. Um, I love the the. I think you had mentioned that she said that there was a power in being disappointed. Hopefully I'm not misspeaking, but that's well, that I, disappointment, the disappointment can lead to resentment and uh, yeah. to, to keep check on that. I've experienced that with people in my life mm -hmm. where I've seen 
where their own disappointments can contribute to resentment, yeah. their own resentment or resentment just in their whole aura. Yeah. And then with the, the power I think that you're talking about from before is um, vulnerability is not weakness. It is our greatest measure of courage. And again, that there is strength and weakness. Absolutely. I, I think, I mean, it's, it's one of these common themes that comes up a lot in this series. Um, and something that I always bring up again, cause I'm curious about that two pronged approach, working on adults, working with adults. And at the same time, providing students, younger people with those tools to prepare themselves for the trials, tribulations, challenges, obstacles of life. It's not to make it easy for them. It's not to make it uh, free of challenges or hardship. Right. But I think there's a way to, I think maybe those of us that didn't have those tools, we were resilient enough to make it to this point but I think we would have been a little more efficient in how resilient we were had we had these tools way back when. Things still yes. would have hurt. They still would have stung. But we would have had a set of tools to help us kind of draw back to center and then go back and try again. So I'm just always curious about setting that stage for younger people. Again, not to make life easy, but to make life more efficient where they're tackling their issues, but they're instead of spending I'm exaggerating. Years getting over something, they're spending months refining their approach to it and then learning from it and moving on to the next thing. Yeah. And learning from it is the most important thing. Yeah. We can have the most painful experiences and it's always going to be with us, but yes. It's yes. learning from it and learning how we got through it. And yeah. And, and, and to your point, um, again, reflecting on my younger daughter, who's a senior at Bentley University finance accounting major. So when I started taking my mindfulness course, she said, oh, I took a mindfulness course last last semester. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, yeah, it was a, you know, it was a, um, what do you call those extra classes? Um, yeah, like a, a seminar. Elective. Or some, elective yes. An elective. Okay. She took a mindfulness class, which is, Bentley is known as like one of the best business schools, you know, in the, certainly in the Northeast. But yeah, it's so yeah. great. I mean, it's just so great. And she was telling and, and, me about what she learned in mindfulness. Yeah, and it wasn't like um, like a common hour class, like once a week, once once that semester. It was a class. It, class. it was a class class, and that that's was for credit. Yeah, yeah, and, and that should be part of it. That hallelujah be part of it. to that, right? I yeah, mean, because I mean, all the tools that you get from all the other classes that you might have taken. Yeah. in your program communications, exactly. marketing, business, you know, some yeah. business electives, but nothing that was going to help you. It sounds stupid, but nothing that was going to help you with life. You know what I mean? You go through college, you, you achieve your degree. There's a certain script that you can follow to work hard, mm -hmm. to network, to get a job. Right. Um, and you follow a career path that's generally laid out for you generally, right. but there's exactly. nothing that teaches you how to deal with the hardships of life. I mean, I've been out of school for a long time, but we were never taught how to deal with hardships at all. It was about how to achieve the next rung on the ladder, but you were never told mm -hmm. about how to deal with the pitfalls, you know, that as mm -hmm. you're going up, you're going to come back down a little as you, as you move up. So right. Right. that's encouraging that you see Isn't that it? out there. It yeah, very, is. Very. It's so encouraging. So, you know. Yes, we have more available to us than before. And that's partly the reason why when I do my mindfulness, I, I want to first start working with um, the elderly community 
um, because they have been impacted so much by COVID and they still are, they're still living in this world and they're so isolated. And they also never, they grew up in that world where they didn't talk about feelings and they didn't talk about emotions. And, you know, so I want to start with that demographic because, you know, um, I helped, I volunteered at the local community senior center during COVID. So I got to know a few of them and, you know, so that's my first, my, that's going to be my first, my entrance into mindfulness, partly because, you know, I, you know, I definitely think it's a, not that I'm practicing, (laughs) but it's a a little bit more lower key than I'm not going to dive right into working with adolescents. Of course, of course. A little more complicated. Um, Yeah. The people that are further along in their life, it's, it's incredible. As soon as you're made aware of what it is and how you can use it. I mean, I haven't taken any classes on mindfulness. I haven't taken any certifications on mindfulness, but my conversation with my kid is much different than my conversation with my dad. Right. My family is Colombian, you know, South America, Colombia. Um, the Latino cultures can be very macho, yes. very stoic. They don't talk about emotions, don't cry, don't, yeah. you know, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And I don't fault my dad for that. That's just the the society that grew, he grew up in. But I don't Culture, know yeah. anything. I don't know anything about what was I knew what was stressing him out. Right. right coming here as an immigrant. Mm-hmm. But I never heard him talk about his emotions. And what what pushed her or yeah. drove his emotions. But my my kid already knows what I'm scared of, you know, and he's like, you're scared, daddy. I'm like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. of course. Um, and it's not like a checkbox. Like I have to tell my son. For me, it just goes without saying. I've always tried to be an honest person where I try to say what I'm feeling or thinking, yeah. because that way we can really get to the crux of what's going on. It's so um, true. But I, I try to talk to him, not my son, not so much as a coach and not so much in the language of adults, but finding a way for him to express what he's thinking, what he's feeling, asking him. Because I know I know from my own experience with anxiety that holding on for it for so long and not really feeling like you have an outlet, sure. it just builds and builds and you feel more and more tense. So I want him to get him and his brother, his little brother's three. He doesn't give a shit about anything. Yet. <laughs> but um, my seven-year-old, he's becoming aware of like when kids don't want to play with him or what, who his friends are and who he can go go to. And I don't want that those negative ex- experiences to kind of imprint on him that that's his value, that that's his worth, that that's his identity. So I, I try to ask him just to kind of just to breathe out everything he's feeling or else it gets stuck inside you and it kind of just uh, perpetuates itself, yep. extrapolates and just kind of gets bigger and bigger. So mm. um, yeah, you hit so many points as you were going through the list of, of what you were reading uh, that just makes sense. Yeah. And I look forward to providing more of those tools to him. You are, uh, it sounds like you're doing it. it. sounds like you're practicing mindfulness right in your own home. So trying, trying yeah. to, trying to Jill, I'm trying. Yeah, it's already, I could tell, I mean, you know, they're lucky kids because just the breathing, just the letting it out, just that even talking about, like you said, it's, you know, that's what Brittany Brown talks about in this book is naming the different emotions. It's like, that's part of the, in the beginning, they talk about like, I don't even know, they name like, I don't know, say there's, there's 200 emotions in the whole book of emotions. 
And then they talk about the fact that most people don't know what emotions are. So again, you're, you're starting to define them to your son so that he's familiar with them. So then he understands. Otherwise, when we're little, we're like, I don't even know what I'm feeling. I just feel this. Yeah. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to have the right words for it. Just, you know, off the top of your head, what is it? How do you describe it? Kind right. of thing. Right. Exactly. Um, Jill, have you read any other of uh, Brene Brown's books at all or no? You know, I haven't. Um, I have not. And now I probably will. Um, there are some other authors that that I have read a lot of uh, Cheryl Strayed, um, Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the a lot of, well, I guess I like female authors. And um, <laughs> I like, that. you know, they're strong women that have gone through a lot of different experiences and have a great story to tell. So, um, Brene Brown is, is, you know, she's incredible. And I think I will read more. Um, She's funny as hell too. Yeah. She's funny as hell. She's got, uh, somebody has mentioned her in some of these networking forums that I go to. So I, I looked up her podcast and she's brilliant. Yeah. Um, but she's funny. She's funny as hell. So I I appreciate that that dichotomy of, you know, at moments she's brilliant and then at other moments she just lets out. I think that's why I enjoyed the book so much because that's also too how Elizabeth Gilbert is and Cheryl Strait is, you know, they can, oh yeah, you can just chuckle out loud constantly at what they're writing, even though they might be talking about the saddest thing in the world. They'll just, yeah, yeah. you know, segue to something that's, you know, so yeah, I think, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to reading a little bit more um, or even just like watching her podcast or audiobooks um, by Brittany Brown. So yeah, but um, it was my first. So you said you went into it thinking, I'm going to learn a lot about mindfulness and then it kind of moved towards really learning about yourself just out of curiosity in the time that you've gone through this, how have you seen it change who you are or your work? Like, what are the things that stand out where now having this this knowledge, these tools, this lifestyle, it's, it's a lifestyle to me. Um, how has that kind of shaped things to look differently than they did, you know, before you started that course? Um, I think there definitely are moments that, in through in the course um, through some of our classes online and then at the retreat, it's always like in a class mm-hmm. environment where probably through one of the practices that it touched upon something that I was able to kind of let something go or not let something go in a, or or let myself feel a certain way like mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's okay to feel this, or it's, this is why I feel that, or just a release almost, Yeah, you know? And I think it's just, um, we go, 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 go. We don't stop. We just, we keep going and we collect. Yeah. We collect stuff and put it on our back and just keep going forward. Right. So then sometimes, you know, when you're in these classes and you're going through stuff, yeah, it's, there's going to be stuff that like hits you. And then the other thing I will say is I am able to, um, so I might have a million things to do, but I am now okay with just saying, you know what? I'm going to just kind of tune into 
this, which is a mindfulness thing, or this, I'm looking out my window and just watching the trees Mm -hmm. and the breeze. And I'm going to get into a mindfulness moment or a mindfulness 10 moment, 10 minutes. Last night, I, I thought I sent you that email. I thought I hit send, but I guess I was kind of already kind of going into my, I need to go. And I, I watched two of my classes, which are pre-recorded. Uh, are recorded. If you okay. miss them, you can watch them. And I just gave myself that gift. I just said. You gave yourself the gift of not responding to John's email. No, I <laughs> sent the email. It got stuck today. Anyway, it literally. I, I, know, I know what you mean. You can no, see no. at the bottom of my email, I say, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. So you knew I wrote it with the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it didn't send. So anyway, um, but 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 then I spent the rest of the evening um, after my mindfulness course of the night, <laughs> but watching two from previous that I missed because you know, mm-hmm. you have to make up your missed classes. Mm-hmm. So I just said everything else can wait, and I wasn't able to do that ever before. Mm. And I'm able to go into those times and it's self-preserve and it's nice, you know, it's really nice. And, and the truth is, is that, you know, the world is different. And even in the corporate world, if I were back in the corporate world, things are a little more accepting. I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, I'm not going to go to that meeting and I'm going to yeah. just do my mindfulness. Yeah. But you know what I mean? If I'm paying more attention to myself or if I don't, you know, when you get those, like I used to call them rapid fire emails. Yeah. Um, and I was very diligent about getting back to everybody. When you work for 180 attorneys, you, it's pretty rapid. Mm-hmm. It's okay to just shut down and say, I'm going to get back tomorrow. Yeah. No one's dying here. <laughs> We're not saving a life tonight, you know. Yeah, that that's a that's a great um, point to make. It's like um, I've realized like the things that stress me out because you can have there's a fair amount of stress to have. It has to be something that's very high priority. Yeah, like and, close to like yeah. your physical being. Right. Every everything else is not tangible. Everything else is like ideas attitudes mm-hmm. emotions but i mean yeah unless it's something that's physical because you brought up life and death unless it's something that's physically on the line yeah like right and take I a know, breath you will address right. it but don't yeah. don't put but, that extra pressure and, on yourself and the thing is is i know looking back at the time at which i went through my difficult crisis mm-hmm. i know why i kept going the way i did I was in fear. I, you know, she talks about fear in the book and I was in fear. I was in fear of not being able to support my family. Cool. Yes. Yes. I was in fear. Yes. I, I needed to reach that goal. I needed to reach that goal. And so I was doing everything. So it didn't matter. I had to just keep going. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. So again, if I am help, so if in my practice in the future, if I'm helping others, you know, I'm just going to try to help them realize that you, you can keep climbing your mountain, but you, you, it's okay to take breaks for yourself. You will be better the next day if you do. Whatever amount of time you need to take for yourself. And we live in a world where most often we're still protected. Yeah. It's amazing how you can do that even without changing your behavior, like meaning 
a year ago, like my mental health wasn't that good. I was having my own difficulties. I needed yeah. to take more time for myself, right? Right. I needed to, you know, the self-care. You had to be selfish every once in a while. And the, the crazy thing is nothing really changed. Right. Nothing really changed. It was more about the expectations. So who, whoever I was providing to in the past still got what they needed. Right. But I didn't put that pressure on myself to do it by a certain date or whatnot. Yeah. And the thing is, they got a, a better product. And I mean product, whether it's a business client, a relationship, mm -hmm. a, a better end result because it was coming from a better, healthier place for me. Absolutely. And that's so, why that's why they talk about wellness and mindfulness is so important in the workplace. Yes. They yeah. have all they have the research to prove it. Yeah. They have the research. Take care of your employees. That's what I always They're, say is like even if you don't look at it from the, you know, mindfulness, mm -hmm. woo, woo, whatever you want to look at, you sure. know, standpoint, mm -hmm. look at it at the very least then from a business standpoint. Absolutely. Maybe you don't have to believe in its effects, but the the research is there that the it leads to better bottom line, top line and whatnot. So yep. when they don't, it's like, wow, like, the, you know, there's even proof that it helps business and you're still not listing. Yeah, exactly. I'm hoping that they are, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to keep myself a little outside of the corporate world. I work with a lot of corporate people um, at Connecticut Women's Council, but I'm, you know, we're a council or a nonprofit organization. So it's not like I'm grinding the bottom line anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jill, what do you, so how would you explain the benefit of this book to somebody who hasn't read it that you want to kind of entice to read it, regardless of what industry they're in? What would you, in a short kind of brief synopsis or message, what would you share with them to kind of convey the importance of this? And I know you've given a lot of great examples, yeah. but what's kind of like that last ditch message just to drive it home? I would say, you know, a lot of what I learned in this book is kind of like the work I said, like what I learned in mindfulness is like not about mindfulness, it's about me. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like this book is a way that can help someone do that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay. It's good to understand my emotions or what they are or, oh, is this, is this why I feel this when I have a disappointment? Or is this is this why I act the way I do when something is triggered within me? Is that why I'm like that with that person? Or is that why I am the way at work? You know what I mean? You know, I've realized things about me, you know, how something might trigger me. Again, it's typically related to fear or, or, or uncertainty. Afraid, uncertainty. You know, it's our, again, it, it starts by saying, um, you know, she explains to her readers um, what is happening emotionally for us on a biological and a biographical level. Yeah. Again, biological, we're made the way we are. And then we have our biography, our story. Yes. And all that connected. That That is who we are. And we are each our own unique imprint. And so, you know, and that's why like people in different relationships, everyone is different with everyone because we're we're two different imprints put together. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it could be a work person. It could be your roommate. It could be your boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. It's incredible. So I would say the, the, the last nugget is just um, you'll learn a lot about yourself and you'll learn more about emotions. And um, and it explains a lot. It's like it, it's very it's a lot more almost technical than I thought. 
Mm-hmm. She's a researcher. I mean, she is yeah. like, she gets really nitty gritty, but like I said, she's funny too. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so yeah, it's like having your own little mini mindfulness class. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Just cause I think, yeah. Um, there's nothing, what I've said always is like, there's nothing wrong with emotions. Like there's nothing wrong with what you want to say. It's how you say it. There's nothing wrong with emotions. It's how you translate it, how you demonstrate it. It's that kind of emotional intelligence to stop, recognize it. And then, okay, how am I going to deal with it? Instead of getting it uh, wrapped up in that never ending tornado of, or rabbit hole of an emotion that you just go down. Um, So I'm looking, I, it's one that I have to get on my list. I'm looking forward to reading it. I absolutely. And I did a combination of reading it and the audiobook. Okay. So that was really helpful. She was great to listen to on the audiobook because I think her sense of humor would come out more too. Yeah. If you enjoyed that, definitely check out her podcast. Uh, okay. I think it's the Dare to Lead one. That I think she has two, but the Dare to Lead one is the one that I've listened to the most. Okay. And she'll have uh, other thought leaders on there, like, you know, Adam Grant, uh, Daniel mm-hmm. Pink. She'll have actors on there. Oh, neat. Uh, a lot of musicians, a lot of great oh, uh, I, I love music and I, I couldn't help but notice your guitar. So that's cool that she has musicians. I didn't yeah, realize yeah. that. So it's not just limited to business, but I think she does have artists as well. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. So Jill, in wrapping up, is there anything that you want to mention about what you're up to? Is there anything that you want to share about anything you have coming up or anything else that you might want us to know about? I would just say... Um, Stay tuned for when I am certified as a mindfulness facilitator, um, because I'm sure I'll, you know, have more to say about that at that point. Um, I'm not, you know, shaping it out or doing anything with it until after I'm certified and after I have experience. Um, So stay tuned on that. And in regards to, I will just say, um, anyone that's listening to this that either works for a nonprofit or cares about a nonprofit, um, One Hope Wine is a great way to uh, raise not only funds, but awareness for your nonprofit. Um, anyone, or like if you just like to help a nonprofit, I work, you know, I, I, I work with individuals in private homes. We raise money for nonprofits all the time. We share wine and we give back. So it's a super easy thing to do. And it's just a a beautiful part of life, sharing wine and, and as we say, pouring with a purpose, because um, that's really what it is. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Jill, anything you might share on social media about that? Um, Sure. Anything I'm always all. sharing. I mean, yeah. I don't share that much. I'm not an oversharer. Um, no, I, try I know, to keep, I know. I try to I keep know. it all balanced. Yeah. So, um, yes, but, but this has been great. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for telling me about the book. Um, it shows me that I really need to pick up a copy and, and add it to my list that I've of books that I've bought and have yet to get to, but oh, I'll good. get to it at some point. Yes, you will. Or the audio book to listen in, in your car. Yeah, it, I might have. I'm not an audio book person, but with her, I might have to just because I enjoy just yes. her voice. Her, her voice is great. Yeah, I, she's I, amazing. Yeah, so it's it's really good. It's it's a it's a great way to get through it. <laughs> Absolutely, I'll get to it. I'll get to it at some point. But thank you, Jill, for sitting down with me on this conversation when we talked about Atlas of the Heart, mapping meaningful connection and the language of human experience. I really appreciate you taking the time to go through the book, your thoughts and your history and past with me. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for giving me this opportunity and I'm sure I'll see you soon. 
Absolutely. If there's anything that I might have missed that should have asked, but didn't get to or were limited on time, and um, just let me know. I uh, if I could get the question out to Jill, um, I'm sure she'll she'll respond. Uh, I just don't want to, I want to make sure that I, I covered everything. And, and I know sometimes that I don't, but. Oh, that's okay. If, um, so in any case, uh, I guess I'm just still reeling from this conversation. I know it's, it's of, a lot. See, you're learning a lot about yourself and that's what happens through yeah, this experience. I'm telling you, it catches yeah. you off guard. Yeah, it, just does. it, it really does. Um, that's a, a side effect of this series that I didn't anticipate. Right. I knew there'd be great stories. I knew there'd be great books, great, uh, people's lives and what they wanted to share. But I didn't realize in our banter back and forth, how much I would really, absorb what people were sharing with me so i'm very lucky that that happens i know it's very cool and it's it's just really great that you do this for everybody no i appreciate that so much jill in any yeah. case thank you everybody for watching listening uh and take care i'll talk to you in the next episode bye